What's going on, guys? You're listening to This Week in Sports. It is Friday, April 22nd, 2022. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to the last episode I did, which was now two weeks ago. Um, with Easter and everything going on last weekend, I was not able to get a podcast out. Um, very busy Friday, prepping for some important softball games. Um, had those softball games on Saturday, some tough losses, and then we had Easter Sunday, so it was impossible to get an episode out. I thought about doing an episode on, was it Wednesday? Whenever the Nets last played, um, I wanted to get a little preview out for that episode and get it done before, but again, that game came on by 7. At 7, by the time I ate dinner, got home, everything, was not able to get the job done there. So, here we are. Um, We've got a lot to talk about. NBA playoffs are in full swing, okay? And there are a little bit of some shockers, some surprises, some things that are not so surprising. Of course, we've got some injuries to deal with, and... There's quite a few big names that have now hit the injury board. So without further ado, let's jump right into episode 168. Okay, the biggest shock, I think, of all game ones in this playoffs, uh, 2022 NBA playoffs, was the Grizzlies getting beaten by the seven-seed Minnesota Timberwolves. Very shocking. Uh, Minnesota dominant in, in, in that game one victory, just trouncing the Grizzlies. Okay, um, I, that was a game I did not watch. I think it was on a little bit later in the night, um, so I wasn't able to watch that game. But what a game it was. The, um, the Grizzlies get smoked by uh, 13 points, losing that game 130 to 117. That's a lot of points for a supposed two seed to give up. Um, Anthony Edwards was sensational with 36 points. Carl Anthony Towns showed out with 29 of his own. Um, you know, just just a great overall team effort. And John Morant, although he had 32 points, um, eight of 18, not terrible, but. Um, you know, the, the, he didn't get too much support. Desmond Bain could have shot the ball better. Uh, Steven Adams didn't score any points. So anyway, they lose game one in that series. I'm going to go through this a little bit fast because there's a lot of games to get to over a span of many, many days um, with playoff games every single day. So bear with me here. Okay, game one. Um, the number one team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, getting it done, beating the Pelicans in game one in the process. Chris Paul dropped 30 points, 30 points, just absolutely ridiculous um, to, to, to be playing at this high of a level at this stage of his career. He almost had more points than his age. He is 36 years old. People seem to forget that sometimes. So Chris Paul, in the process of dropping 30 points, became the oldest player ever to score 30 and dish out 10 assists in a playoff game. That distinction, kind of crazy, previously held by Steve Nash. Also, of the Phoenix Suns that way back in game one of the 2010 Western Conference semis. Meanwhile, Nets Celtics, 
probably still, I'm going to keep this opinion, going to be the best first-round series, even though the Nets now find themselves down 2 nothing. Spoiler alert. Um, game 1 was an epic game, and it's a tough game to lose if you are Brooklyn on the cusp of winning that game and just blowing it a little bit late. The Nets were down by as many as 15 in the second half in that third quarter. They close out the third on a nice run. They take the lead in the fourth quarter, and in the final minutes, they kind of let it slip away. They were up by one, and uh, they couldn't get a clean look, and Durant had to fire up a three. It was a bad shot, so Boston has the ball down one, and they get inside to uh, Jason Tatum. They're moving the ball around flawlessly, and at the buzzer, just an absolute dagger for myself, who had money on this game, as well as for every Nets fan in America. Jalen Brown kicks it out. Smart fakes. Inside, Tatum spins, Yeah, the basket counted, and that was game over. There was no time left on the clock for my Brooklyn Nets. It was just horrible. You have to somehow foul in that situation, but they they snuck it down low to Tatum, and he had an easy turnaround on a smaller man. It was just a horrible, horrible ending. And I always hate situations there where you're only up one. Like if the Nets could have gotten a bucket on the other end, they'd be up three, and the game, they would have needed a three to tie, and the Nets probably would have won and stole game one on the road. Just awful. Um, Listen, Kyrie Irving was sensational in this game. I have to give him credit. He showed out no doubt in this game, okay? He scored an amazing 39 points on an efficient 12 of 20 shooting, 6 for 10 from 3, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, just 3 turnovers. He had 4 steals, 1 block, just absolutely sensational. And here's the thing. Kyrie Irving has become the villain in Boston. The the fans hate him and Kyrie hates them because look, this is all on Kyrie. A few seasons ago, he basically gave up at the end of the season and he he just gave up on his teammates. He also told season ticket holders that he would resign and then he cried his way out to get to Brooklyn. So there's a reason that Brooklyn, I mean that uh, Boston fans cannot stomach him and that fueled his fire for sure in game one. You saw him with the double birds behind his far, behind his uh, the back of his head, um, saying curse words, walking out of this uh, you know the stadium to the locker room to fans, just all sorts of things. And it's very interesting um, because he did end up getting fined fifty thousand dollars for this. But um, here was an interesting you know take by Stephen A. Um, on whether he or not he has a problem with Kyrie's fan interaction. All about bad karma. I just want to make I'm so sure I'm so surprised. Head. Mad Dog is down on Kyrie. I'm so surprised. I'm so surprised. I mean, I mean, breaking news. I mean, that's really breaking news right there. Let me tell you something. I'm down on Kyrie Irving too for a lot of reasons. Sunday ain't one of them. I had no problem with what he did. Zero. Okay, and I'm gonna tell you why. All right, he knew he was going to get fined. 
He knew that it was at least a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 fine. It was not like he thought that, oh, excuse me, I'm right, and so I don't deserve to get fined. I'm going to appeal the fine and all this other stuff. He's not doing that. He made a statement. His whole mentality is this. I'm a Bust y'all living you know what while I'm sitting there giving you the bird with what y'all are saying to me. I'm not advocating that any kind of violence takes place. I'm not advocating that that's even something that he does in the future. But think about what this is the part that I think everybody's missing. And I actually went on NBA radio this morning and tried to explain it to Frank Isola and Brian Scalabrini. I mean, God bless me. I hope I pulled it off. I love them both. But the point <laughs> that I'm trying to make to you, doggy, is this. Think about how many times we lament, doggy, and I'm going to win you over on this argument. Think about how many times we lament how we suspect players don't care enough. Not all, not most, but some. It's about your brand. It's about load management. It's about protecting what you have instead of earning what you have. It's about showing up to work every day. It's about understanding that the paying customer has a right to have an expectation that what they pay for, what they pay for, they're going to get. Well, guess what? This is all that comes with it. Some of the times, don't you find yourself feeling that the NBA has gotten a little bit soft? I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the league office. I mean, every damn thing's a technical. Every day, I see guys getting technicals because they looked at the referee. They looked at the referee. Now, Jokic the other day in Denver deserved to get thrown out because of the second technical, but the first technical he got, what? When he said, what'd I do? And, and that's a technical foul. It gets a little bit too ridiculous here. If Kyrie Irving, again, we're not advocating that you do that continuously, but in the moment, you have an emotional reaction to the kind of shrapnel that they're throwing at you. Excuse me, I don't have a problem with it. Clay T- Trey Young comes to the garden. He's sitting up there, he's waving goodbye. He's giving them bows. He's sitting there talking about we here, we here, mocking New York Knicks fans. You do stuff like that to build antagonism, to make sure that these folks know that you're coming at them the way that they're coming at you. And then you get on the court and you bust their living, you know what? Boston answered the call. What they did was they responded to the vitriol that their fans were throwing in Kyrie Irving's direction. And Jason Tatum went out there and dropped over 40. And Jalen Brown balled. And Marcus Smart, before he won Defensive Player of the Year, did what he did. This is the kind of stuff that makes this that makes the sport more compelling. Yeah, so there you have it. A little bit long, but that's Stephen A's take. Um, and it was a bit controversial because many people called him out that what are we doing if we're going to allow um, Kyrie Irving, the player, to respond and give the double birds and curse out fans when there's little kids there and watching. Here's what I'll say. I don't have a problem with this either because I'm a gamer and I feel that as a fan, if I'm heckling a player and he just sits there and doesn't do anything, how fun is that? Do I, I don't even know if he hears me or not. But when they respond, it's kind of like, oh, my God, you know, Kyrie Irving actually responded to me like this is kind of cool. So I think the fans, just as much as Kyrie, are enjoying this and they're having fun with it. And, yeah, there's cursing and whatnot, but he's not cursing at little kids. He's not throwing stuff at anybody. There's no really harm to this, in my opinion. And realistically, Kyrie Irving can't damage can't damage his his image any more than it already is. You're either in on Kyrie Irving or you're out on Kyrie Irving and way out for for that matter. So um, 
I, yeah, I'm with Stephen A. I really do not have a problem with this. I think it brings uh, something, an edge, if you will, some entertainment value. It's like Kyrie versus Boston and Boston versus Kyrie. This is a series in and of itself. You've you've got the series itself on the basketball court, and then you've got Kyrie versus the Boston fans and vice versa. So it, it's been entertaining so far, and you could hear it in game two. Every time he touched a ball, they were booing him left, right, and center, and and it, I don't know if that affected him. I don't know if, you know, the fasting affected him with Ramadan. But, uh, yeah, it, it was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, Kyrie got fined the $50,000. Big whoop. But he did put up 39 points against the Defensive Player of the Year, as you heard uh, Stephen A. say. That was announced a little bit after this game. But... Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart, the first guard since Gary Payton in 96 to win that award, and Kyrie put up 39 with him pretty much primarily guarding him all game. So, yeah, Kyrie will be just fine. He feeds off that energy, and um, although he had a down game too, they both did, um, I think they they will bounce back. They really have to bounce back in, in Game 3, but I'll get to more on Game 2 in just a second as we move on. The Mavs beat the Jazz 110 to 104. This was very surprising. Utah blew its chance to take a commanding 2-0 series lead at home. It's a very detrimental loss considering Luka Doncic did not play. But again, that's why you suit up and that's why you go out there because on any given day, anybody can win. And if you overlook a team and say, oh, they don't have Luka, we're going to win, that's when you lose, when you you let your guard down. Uh, Jalen Brunson stepping up. That's what you need for a good team to succeed when your star player is out. You need these role players, these other guys to step it up. And Jalen Brunson stepped it up with a career-high 41 points. Oh, my God. Um, Doncic, his return is still up in the air as of now. Um, he didn't play in Game 3. Again, more on that in a little bit. Let's get to the Warriors. They took a commanding 2-0 series lead over the Nuggets, 126-106. to They're actually now up three games to nothing. More on that soon. Jordan Poole has played... Two career playoff games at this point, now three, and has been the best player in in the backcourt for both for both games. It's just unbelievable. A night after scoring 30, he dropped another 29 on Monday. The Warriors put up 44 in the third alone, a playoff record under Steve Kerr, and then he balled out again last night. The Sixers took a commanding now 3-0 series lead over the Raptors, but game two was signed, sealed, and delivered thanks to Joel Embiid, um, 31-11, and 11, and Tyrese Maxey added 23. This was a 112-97 to 97 victory. Of note, Doc Rivers earning his 100th playoff win, becoming just the fifth coach to do so. The others atop the leaderboard, you have Phil Jackson with 229. Nobody will catch that. Pat Riley, 171. Greg Popovich, 170, and Larry Brown with 100. Those are the others besides now Doc Rivers with 100 playoff wins. We're going to skip the basketball. We'll get back to that in a second. But I want to uh, mention a, a, a baseball player, a Japanese baseball player, okay, by the name of Roki Sasaki. Okay, the reason this is significant um is because this guy might well be the next big pitching phenom 
in Major League Baseball, okay? We're talking the Nippon Professional Baseball Organization, the NBP, okay? Um, And this is very interesting. So Japanese pitching phenom, Roki Sasaki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay, he threw the first perfect game in NPB history. Uh, excuse me, in 28 years last week. First perfect game in the last 28 years. Not only did he throw a perfect game, he followed it up with another perfect eight innings, striking out 14 of the 24 batters he faced. Oh my God. The only reason they took him out after eight innings was to protect his arm. And, of course, once they took him out, as you see many times, they lost the game. one nothing in 10 innings. Just brutal. No run support. He struck out 19 batters in the, in the perfect game the previous week and has now retired 52 straight batters. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a while before we see him in the States. The NPB only grants players international free agency after nine years of service. However, he could be posted by Chiba Lote, his current team, at any point. They could post him up for bid, basically, to to major league teams. But obviously, that is unlikely and very, very doubtful. He is, though, just 20 years old, and he throws a wicked 100-mile-an-hour fastball. We'll just have to admire it from afar, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay, moving on. Let's talk back to basketball. Uh, Brandon Ingram looked sensational in game two. The Suns looked to be so in control of this series after a strong game one, but game two proved to be the Brandon Ingram show. The 24-year-old went for 37, 11, and nine assists, one assist shy of a triple-double, and the Pels win this one 125-114. to It's a bad loss for the Suns losing to the eight seed, especially when they don't have Zion Williamson. They stole home court away from the Suns. Very interesting. C.J. McCollum added 23 points. And in fact, this game turned when Devin Booker left the game in the third quarter with a hamstring injury and did not return. Um, We now know it is a grade one strain, which history tells us would require 14 to 21 days to recover. That Timeline puts his return date time uh, return date during uh, excuse me that timeline puts his return two weeks from now at least at the minimum which if you're paying attention you know that's after the first round that's into the second round so his return in the first round is 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 not happening so something to keep an eye out for he. Uh, scored 31 points in just 25 minutes of play, of action in that game. So him going out, that is the reason that the Pelicans won. It's a major hit to the Suns and something to keep an eye on going forward. As they progress, they have aspirations to to go all the way as they were in the finals last year and lost to Milwaukee. 
All right, the Heat took down the Hawks 115 to 105. This series is officially over. Jimmy Butler put up a playoff career high 45, and Trey Young was ice tray for the third straight playoff game. He is now two for 23 in his last three playoff games from three. Oh my God. And of course, I bet on him. Um, I bet on him again tonight. I took a nice little uh, boosted parlay on FanDuel. I need Jimmy Butler to score 20 and Trey Young to make three three-pointers. Please, Trey, get out of that slump. It is, uh, you know, just it's time, dude. It's time. The series is on the line. Like, it's time to put up or shut up. The Grizzlies came back and showed us why they were the two seed by dominating the T-Wolves 124-96. to They shook off that game one rust and blitzed Minnesota with seven players in double figures. Need I say more? All right, quickly back to baseball. This is significant. The San Diego Padres will feature a Motorola-branded patch on their uniforms in 2023. So that's uh, next year. The team announced this on Tuesday. This now makes the Padres the first Major League Baseball club to ever include an advertising sponsor on its jersey. This is nothing new. We see this in the NBA all the time. But don't expect this to be the last team to do this. These ads were approved. Of course, everything's about money as part of the updated CBA. Pulse patches will be available to any team for a price. And speaking of the Padres, Luke Voigt and Reds catcher Tyler Stevenson collided in what turned out to be a nasty collision at the plate just the other night. Take a listen to this one. There was some controversy behind it. Profar. Lines this down towards the left field corner. Voigt is headed for third, maybe beyond. Yep, like Schultz going to wave him around. Here comes the throw. He will be at the plate and what a collision there so Voigt comes in hard and a collision with Tyler Stevenson and Stevenson slow to get up somehow held on to the baseball but boy you get hit full speed by Luke Voigt you're going to feel it and Tyler Stevenson did that was quite a collision at the plate he had the baseball. You can blow him up in that yep. instance, so nothing illegal about that. Yep. But nevertheless, he took a big hit. As you mentioned. Yeah, um, he did take a big hit, and what was interesting about that was that um, the way Luke Voigt slid, nothing wrong. It was a figure four slide, but he kind of put his hands out like almost to brace, and it looked like he, you know, it did kind of look like a wrestling move. I forget. Um, it was... Um, it wasn't Tommy Pham. Yeah, Kyle Farmer. I'll get to that audio in a second. But Kyle Farmer was the one that said it looked like a wrestling move. The the uh, Padres thought it was a dirty, I mean, excuse me, the Reds thought it was a dirty play because the way he put his hands out, it looked as though he was pushing his head and slamming his head into his, his like, thighs or his knees, like, like almost like a wrestling move where you're grabbing the guy by the head and slamming him down. Um, it just looked very awkward. Unfortunately, Stevenson was diagnosed with a concussion. He was able to get up and walk away under his, you know, own two feet and his own power. So that was good. Afterwards, um, Tommy Pham said that 
surprise. I mean, Tommy Pham, who played with the Padres a season ago, said it was dirty and hinted that there could be retaliation. I don't think there was, because if there was, I would have heard about it. I didn't watch the next day's game, um, but I think I would have heard about it if there was. If there was, let me know and correct me if I'm wrong. Fellow Reds infielder Kyle Farmer, who was the one that relayed the ball. It was a beautiful relay from left field to short to the catcher. Uh, Farmer was the one that threw the ball for the relay. He called it a wrestling move to Tyler's head. Take a listen to what he had to say. Tommy threw a good ball in, and, um, you know, my throw was kind of up the line a little bit in other batter's box. And, um, you know, looking back at the replay, I mean, not too happy about the slide, but, I mean, it's baseball. And so um, there were some things after you watch the replay that happened that, um, you know, uh, we're going to take a second look at and see and uh, go from there. Do you wish he had, like, held up a little bit on the run or, like, his arm extended, like, on the slide? Yeah, um, not too often. I, you know, you see a runner slide and grab someone's head and slam it to the ground like that. So, um, you know, you're usually trying to reach for the bag. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. But um, after looking at the replay, I mean, it looked like a wrestling move to Tyler's head and snapped it down. So, um it looked like he was trying to make another move to the other side of the plate, maybe. I mean, that's what, maybe what he'll say, but um, every time, you know, you see a player like that, I mean, I've caught before, and that's a scary play, and especially when you have a big guy like uh, Voigt coming down, and um, so, uh, you know, I, I've never really seen someone's hands go to a catcher's head on a slide, and um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, um, it was it was definitely a little awkward, but let's face it, Luke Voigt's a big dude. He's not the greatest runner, so he looked awkward doing it. I'm sure there was no harm meant, you know, in, in his slide. He wasn't, like, trying uh, to hurt him. Um, it's just it was a baseball play and things kind of happened the way they did. It was a bang, bang play. You don't know how your body is going to react when you're trying to slide on a bang, bang play like that going full speed. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he clears the concussion protocol and can come back soon. It was interesting though. The reds had to get very creative with the, with their lineup adjustment following Stevenson's departure because backup catcher Aramis Garcia was already slotted in as the designated hitter, so they had to move him behind the plate. Therefore, you lose the designated hitter for the rest of the game. So therefore, pitcher River San Martin had to fill the hole in the lineup, becoming the ninth the ninth batter. And uh, no, excuse me, he, yeah. So uh, he filled that hole in the lineup and became the first pitcher to bat in the National League this season following the new universal DH rule. So that's kind of cool. We're almost like 15 games into this now, and uh, he became the first pitcher to hit this season. He grounded out and struck out in two plate appearances. Back to basketball, the Sixers took a commanding 3-0 lead, ending any hopes that the Raptors had of winning this series on Wednesday night as they edged out the Raptors 104-101 to in overtime. And of course, it was Joel Embiid hitting a ridiculous three to win the game. Um, it wasn't a buzzer beater. There was like one second left, but he did hit the play clock buzzer beater and drained this three. Take a listen. Finished with 33 points. Way outside near the arc. Green may angle something toward the rim. It gives her a beat. He'll turn. Got oh my.
takes a turn and shot and a score. You can't be serious, big fella. Joel Embiid with a three-pointer has shocked everybody in the building. The catch, the turn, the shot. Look at the Philly bench. They're loving it. MB catch, turn, two Raptors on him, it doesn't matter. It's Joel Embiid's world, we're just living in it right Yeah, so um, Embiid, there was .9 on the play clock, they got it to him, he spun, faded away, and just drained it like he does it in his sleep. Like, just absolutely ridiculous. And it, there was, so there was, I said about a second, it was .7 left on the clock, but the game was over at that point. Raptors now down three games to none. Um, just ridiculous. For the second straight year, the Philly, uh, the 76ers take a 3-0 series lead in the first round after not having done so in the in the previous like 25 years. It's just uh, ridiculous. Even though James Harden hasn't played all that well, they're going to sweep this series. Just pisses me off a little bit because, excuse me, sorry about that, because My Brooklyn Nets blew a 17-point lead to go down two games to none in Boston. Let me paint a picture for you. 114 to 107 was the final. The uh, KD and Kyrie, two of the top 10 best offensive weapons in this league, played their worst game as teammates. And they've played quite a few games as teammates. KD finished with 27 points, was... But most of that was from the free throw line. He was 0 for 10 from the field in the second half, and the Nets were outscored in the fourth quarter 29 to 17. Just disgusting. The pressure is all on Brooklyn now as they come home down 2-0 that game tomorrow night. This is obviously a must-win game. It's hard to say it's time to panic considering they lost game one on a buzzer beater and then they blew that huge lead in game two. However, they're being outcoached. They're being out-defended. Uh, they did a great job, actually, on the offensive or on the defensive glass, limiting Boston with those offensive rebounds. Um, I think they did a phenomenal job with that. So they cleaned some of that stuff up, and Bruce Brown had a really great start. The Nets were up like uh, 12 nothing at one point, or 9 nothing at least, 11 nothing to start this game, and then it just slowly you know, dwindled down after they got up by 17. But here's the problem. You're not getting Ben Simmons back, at least for another game. So for whatever reason, Ben Simmons can't go in game three. He needs a couple more days to go in game four. And even now, we don't know. It's up in the air. It doesn't even look like Ben Simmons himself wants to play. It's an absolute joke. This is on Sean Marks. You made a trade. for You, you traded away James Harden because he wanted out. And you got a guy that was hurt or that ended up getting hurt and now doesn't even want to play because every day that goes by where he doesn't play, the pressure is magnified. There's pressure for him to play now in game three because they need him. And if he were to play and shit the bed, then he he would crawl in a hole because he's weak-minded. And I don't think he has the cojones to play in a big market city like Brooklyn or like Philly. And that's the problem. And if he doesn't get on the court and they lose game three, 
then the series is over anyway. So you better be on the court in game four. That's all I have to say. And I'm sorry, Steve Nash, you're over. You're, you're now Coach Clap. okay? that This is what you are. You are Coach Clap, like Jason Garrett used to be with the Dallas Cowboys. Stephen A., uh, excuse me, Skip Bayless used to always tweet, Coach Clap, Coach Clap. And this is what this guy has become. And I know he's Canadian and all, Steve Nash, but, like, what is up with his clap? He has the most, the, the weirdest clap I have ever seen in my life. He uses his, like, palms. It's, like, the weirdest, stiffest clap I've ever seen, besides the point. Blake Griffin is a former number one overall pick, uh, X number of year all-star, slam dunk winner, fiery guy, gives you energy. Why has he not seen any minutes on the court? Why? And then number two, LaMarcus Aldridge. He's He was hurt towards the end of the season. He's now healthy. What is going on? You need a LaMarcus Aldridge on the court to spread, to spread the defense, to get bigs to come outside of the paint because LaMarcus has that sexy mid-range jumper that he can knock down from the elbows and 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 towards the three-point line. You need to get Thais and these guys back out. And now it's seeming like the Nets are just in a world of hurt because Robert Williams is now going to play in game three. This guy hurt his knee, had a scope or whatever with his meniscus, and, and now he's back in game three. And he's a true big. And now the Nets are going to have a handful down low. And yet Ben Simmons, who hasn't played in 10 months, can't get on the court. You can't or you won't. That's the problem with the Nets. They better figure it out. I better stop seeing Nick Claxton in the game clanking free throws at the end of the game. They lost game one because Claxton dropped a pair a pair of free throws late in this game. My dad called it. It was a stupid play. I think it was Kyrie Irving on a fast break. He passed it to Claxton, and Claxton didn't make the basket because he got fouled, sending him to the line. If Kyrie kept the ball, he could be at the line or have made the basket, and the Nets win that game. Of course, Claxton clanked both of those free throws, and and, and it's just ridiculous. He has a great stroke for a big man. He's a lefty. It's in his head. The fact that he can't shoot two free throws consecutively and consistently one he he airballed one the other night he physically he, he shot one long off the back iron and the second one he airballed that is a mental midget right there and he shouldn't be playing late in the game you need LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin on the court and I expect to see them tomorrow night because something has to to change. Like I said, it's not panic time, but these were two games you let slip away when you had the lead late. The Bulls beat the Bucks 114 to 110. DeMar DeRozan scored 41 points without a single three-pointer and the Bulls tied this series at 1. Some bad news for Milwaukee and this could now be a serious uh like series. Chris Middleton has a sprained MCL and is out at least for the rest of the first round. No, Chris Middleton is out three to six weeks. If the Bucks made it to the finals, I'd be surprised if may- maybe Middleton makes an appearance then. Um, at minimum, he's out three weeks. Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis both had this injury. They were out almost six weeks. I know it's amplified because it's the playoffs and you're going to try to work it that much harder to get back but you better be careful that there's no setbacks at least three weeks. Good luck winning without Chris Middleton. 
In a surprise move yesterday, Villanova coach Jay Wright announced his retirement. Wright ends his time at Nova with nine straight tournament appearances and two national titles, as well as multiple Final Four appearances, including this year. His Wildcats teams... His Wildcat teams made 16 NCAA tournaments in his 21 years, and obviously it would have been 17 if it wasn't canceled due to COVID in the 2020 season. I was, this is true too, by the way. I was yesterday years old when I found out Jay Wright was 60 years old, which is pretty wild. He looks amazing for 60. A lot of times you see these coaches that they're run down the stress levels and the constant coaching and recruiting and and lack of sleep and getting on planes after a game to go to watch a high school game the next morning. Just crazy. Um, He has been linked to several NBA head coaching vacancies over the last handful of years or so. So something to maybe keep an eye on. Naturally, those rumors are going to surface again. He's been, um, when his teams are out of it, he's been on sport, you know, talk shows uh, like Fox and and different things like that. So he probably will get into that um, that side of things, the the reporting and and the analyzing. He'll become a sports commentator, probably like all these guys do. Um, what's crazy is they tabbed uh, a replacement for for Jay Wright already. So tells me they they knew this was coming. They were not blindsided by this by any means. Nova has hired. Kyle Neptune, the Fordham head coach, who served two different stints on Wright's staff to be the next head coach at Villanova. Okay, 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel has officially requested a trade as of Wednesday. Yet another wide receiver this offseason demanding to be paid big money. You've got A.J. Brown. You've got some other guys out there. Tyreek Hill forced his way out to get paid. It's going to be very interesting what happens. Debo has become one of the best offensive weapons in the league under Kyle Shanahan. He lines up at multiple positions and has become a serious threat to house it and score every time he touches the ball. I think he had six receiving touchdowns last year and at least eight Uh, rushing touchdowns. Just unbelievable. It is time for the Jets to put up or shut up. They were all in on Tyree Kill. Now they can't afford to miss on Debo Samuel. I think he's about 26 years old. I would not give up either of the first uh, top 10 picks that they have, the fourth or the 10th, but if they package something together like they did for Tyree Kill with that offer, I think they have a good shot to land him and then they need to pay him because the Nets I mean, the Jets need, need, need offensive weapons. Okay, in a surprising move where most guys declare for the NBA draft early, as we've seen with a couple of Gonzaga players that I'll get to in a second, player of the year Oscar Shibwe is returning to Kentucky for his senior season. Very shocking. I don't even know the last time I've ever uttered those words where the the, the reigning player of the year in college basketball is returning for another year. Um, But it's true. He announced Wednesday that he is returning to the Kentucky Wildcats for his final season. And it makes sense. Why? Thanks in large part to NIL opportunities, name, image, and likeness, which could pay him over $2 million. And what's even more shocking, I don't know if many of you knew this, because I certainly didn't, um, he is projected, or he was projected as just a second-round pick. 
So that was on the cusp of not even getting drafted. Player of the year, and he's a he he he's a flyer second round pick. I find that very hard to believe. So by returning to school now, he can refine his game at Kentucky and develop into a legit first round prospect. His main motivation is his mother too, which is just awesome. He's trying to provide a way for her to immigrate to the United States from the Democratic Republic of Congo. So how can you not root for a guy like that? Next up, back to baseball. The Oakland A's have a major, major, major attendance problem on their hands. On Tuesday, uh, yeah, on Tuesday, they played the Baltimore Orioles. The announced attendance of 3,748 was the lowest since 1980. I did not stutter. I did not make a mistake. That is 3,748 fans in attendance on Tuesday. That stat was short-lived. Surprisingly, they surpassed it. As Wednesday saw a new low of 2,703 fans. To top it all off, the A's picked up a one nothing loss against the Orioles with the lone run coming in the fifth inning. I actually, uh, my college roommate and friend was actually on va- uh, vacationing in California and was at this game, the one nothing loss to the Orioles. He was one of the 2,700 people in attendance. Unbelievable. Um, excluding games with attendance restrictions, obviously because of COVID. The A's haven't had a smaller crowd since 2,443 fans attended a game against the Texas Rangers on September 9th, 1980. Oakland won that one 3-1, to one, and they're not having a bad season. They're like 7-6 and six right now. Uh, but what was cool was my, my buddy that was at this game informed me that the fans were heckling the batter, and because there was hardly anybody in there, you could just hear everything throughout the stadium that was being said. So that is really cool. And of course, tickets were extremely cheap. He was able to get some really good seats behind uh, the backstop. So that's awesome. Okay, let's talk a little junior college baseball. Obviously, I coach junior college softball. So we're going to talk some junior college baseball. Doesn't get talked enough about um, JUCO. And unfortunately, we're talking about it for all the, the wrong reasons. But this was absolutely insane. We're going to Texas for this one. You have North Central Texas College. One of their players, Josh Phillips, he hit a go-ahead home run late in a Wednesday game against Weatherford College. And as he rounded third base, Weatherford pitcher Owen Woodward did the unthinkable. Take a listen to this. Just insane. North Central has taken the lead here in game one. Oh, oh, my. Oh, no. Oh, no. That was out of nowhere. Woodward just attacking the... Sorry, I just Phillips right there. And he'll step on home plate. And- All right, so here's what happened. The guy hits a go-ahead two-run homer, and I believe as he's rounding the bases, he's taunting the pitcher. All right, so he's taunting this guy, Owen Woodward, who gave up the home run, and he's jawing with him and probably saying stuff as he rounds the bases, and that's when Woodward 
turned into a linebacker. Apparently, he was a pretty good linebacker in high school. He ran as he rounded third base and absolutely clotheslined him, just leveled him before he reached home plate. The game was suspended. They called the game right then and there, suspended it. Woodward himself was suspended four games. According to Weatherford head coach Jeff Lightfoot, Woodward is no longer on the team. Josh Phillips was also suspended two games for that taunting there, so he wasn't totally um, the victim in this. He he had some a role to play in, as well. And most of the punishment was actually handed down to the NCTC team because of their players that ran onto the field to protect their guy who got just destroyed and tackled. Uh, the league suspended for two games all team members for NCTC that were in the dugout or bullpen and any assistant coaches who stepped onto the field. It also suspended four additional Weatherford players and assistant coaches for two games. They did not have enough players to uh, field for the following game, so that was forfeited. Just crazy stuff, Uh, just insanity. And um, I've never seen anything like it, but yeah, that actually happened. Go watch the video if you don't believe me. All right, let's get back to NBA playoffs. The Timberwolves choked away a golden opportunity. They blew a 26-point lead, including a 16-point lead to start the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies outscored the T-Wolves 37-12 and won the game by nine points. They never... They never led in the game until the fourth quarter. Just insane. Carl Anthony Towns, this is not the first time. It's not the second time. It's the third time he has crapped the bed here in the playoffs. Scored just eight points the second time in four playoff games, like I said, that he has laid an egg. That's now two straight games with more fouls than baskets for Towns. And incredibly, as the Grizzlies went on a 24-2 run, I think it was actually 24 to nothing at one point, the Timberwolves didn't take a single time out. Oh my God. How is that even possible? Is that a coach sending a message or is that just stupidity and lack of awareness? It was a mandatory timeout by the refs that were ch- that was charged to the home team. The Wolves didn't even have possession, so they never called timeout on a 24-2 run. It's just mind-boggling. In another stunner, the Mavs took a 2-1 lead over the Jazz yet again without Luka Doncic. The Mavs got it done on the road, too, by a final of 126-118, to another high-scoring game. It was a total team effort. Spencer Dinwiddie with 20 points, Jalen Brunson again adding 31, and Maxi Kleba pitched in with 17. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they are awesome in the regular season, total letdowns in the postseason. If the Jazz do not win this series, you can bet your bottom dollar Donovan Mitchell will not be in Utah next season. That's my hot take. Okay, the Warriors are now up 3-0 on the Nuggets after last night's 118-113 win in Denver. Jordan Poole pouring in another 27 points, giving him now 30, 29, and 27 in the three games in this series. These, mind you, the first three postseason games of his career. That totals 86 points in his first three career playoff games. By comparison, another Jordan, Michael scored 88 points in his first three playoff games. Now, not saying he's Michael Jordan, but wowzers. That's impressive. 
Okay, let's talk a little baseball. New York Yankees, my New York Yankees. Well, they're no longer my New York Yankees. They are unwatchable television right now. Picture this, right? Friday, they lost 2-1 to one in extra innings to the lowly Orioles. Sunday, they lost 5 to nothing to the Orioles. Tuesday, they won 4-2. to two. However, Garrett Cole lasted just one and two-thirds innings, throwing 68 pitches. Yes, 68. And I believe it was 46 in the second inning alone, walking five batters. The shortest outing in his entire career. Garrett Cole is like 29 years old. He's been in this league for at least eight or nine years. And of course, to top it off, icing on the cake, I had my brother and my sister and myself all in on Garrett Cole over seven and a half strikeouts. And I was feeling great after the first inning. He threw 22 pitches. He struck out the side, stranded a runner. I was like, here we go, baby. He's going to get this early in the third, fourth inning. Here we go. And then I watched the second inning, and he can't even get through the second inning. And through 68 pitches in two innings, how does that happen? He has been abysmal through three starts now on the season. We're paying him all this money, and he can't even throw strikes. This is a problem. The New York Yankees are an abject failure of an organization right now. It gets better. Wednesday, they did win 5-3. to three. Oh, my God, they have a little winning streak going on. But, no, yesterday, yet again, shut out. This time, 3 nothing to the Detroit Tigers. They had first and third, nobody out in the eighth inning. And what happens? A pop-up by Hicks, Judge walks, and then somehow the Yankees did not score. Just absurd. And to add insult to injury in the bottom of the eighth, with Miguel Cabrera sitting on 2,999 career hits, the Yankees promptly walked him to set up the lefty-lefty matchup with Litke versus Austin Meadows. Detroit fans were absolutely pissed. Smoke coming out of the ears, and they let the Yankee fans know it for about a minute. They're not going to like this. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Yeah. They're going to walk Miggy? Yeah, they got to... With Meadows on deck, yep. left-handed, yep. left-handed hitter, sure. But we could see uh, as if the Yankees already weren't the evil umpire. <laughs> All right. Well. Miguel Cabrera does not want to lose sight of the big picture here today. Tigers fans upset, obviously, that he was intentionally walked in the bottom of the eighth. But he's like, look, look at the scoreboard. It's, it's 3 nothing. We're winning. It got even better because Aaron Boone and Miggy had a little heated exchange as well. Um, I guess Miggy wasn't, wasn't happy he was walked either. Boone had these words to say, and I quote, Miggy was jawing at me after I called for the walk. I told him we're even. He cost me a World Series in 2003, so now he can sleep on 2,999. Oh, my God. Aaron Boone's little mic drop moment right there. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, more on the Yankees. Interesting. New York lost its appeal yesterday to prevent the release of what's been dubbed the Yankee letter or Yankees letter. This is a letter detailing the team's alleged sign interpretation scheme from back in 2015 and and 2016, excuse me. 
Rob Manfred said in in 2017 the oper excuse me Rob Manfred said the Yankees used video rooms to crack catchers signs then relayed that to base runners who then alerted batters according to Manfred the only violation by the Yankees was their use of the dugout phone not the content of what was said on the phones So keep an eye out because the letter should be released in about a week and I'm sure everybody is going to dissect it and want to know what it says because the Yankees fought tooth and nail so that letter would not be released. One superstar is staying put in college. Another is leaving. Gonzaga's freshman phenom, Chet Holmgren has declared the skinny shot blocking seven footer with incredible handles and shooting ability announced yesterday. He will leave Gonzaga after just one season, which I think this is a mistake. I think he's too skinny. Um, He's going to be probably the number one overall pick. So I guess maybe it's not a bad move, but I would have came back for at least one more year, bulked up a little bit, refined your game a little bit. But hey, when you're being told you're going to be the number one pick at 19 years old, you might as well declare. He averaged 14.1 points and 9.9 rebounds per game. And we'll see. We'll see what, what he amounts to in the NBA. All right, here's my bonehead of the week. The passenger on that plane with Mike Tyson that kept heckling him and egging him on. Um, I was just reading it earlier. I forgot the guy's name, but he has a, a laundry list of a criminal past. So shocking. He egged on Mike Tyson on a plane, which was weird. Mike Tyson, I think, was flying coach on a JetBlue airline. He eventually threw a water bottle at Mike Tyson. What does Mike Tyson do? He turns, leans over the seat, and absolutely began pummeling this dude. And I don't care how old you are and how old uh, Mike Tyson is, but never in my long life that I hope to live would I ever make the mistake of messing with Mike Tyson. Like I said, he's damn near 60 years old. You do not want to mess with Mike Tyson because that man can still fight. And he let this guy have it. So good for him. That's what he deserved. We're at the end of this thing here. Okay, um, there's a some stuff to watch on TV uh, this weekend. Obviously, you've got the NBA playoffs continuing. There's games on now. Let's check how my bet is doing right about now. Uh, what's today? Today is Friday, obviously. You've got the Hawks uh, and Heat. The Heat are up 20 to 12. I need 20 from Jimmy and three threes from Trey Young. And I better have at least, okay, Jimmy Butler's got nine points already in the first quarter. So he's well on his way to 20. And Trey Young, mother of God, two points, 0 for 1 from three. This man better freaking step it up and hit three threes. Come on, Trey. This better not be a game four blitz where they just get blown out and you sit the fourth quarter. Come on, damn it. Uh, but anyway, you've got the uh, Bucks and Bulls. That should be good at 8.30. Let's see how the Bucks respond for a full game without Chris Middleton. Then you've got the Suns and Pelicans at 9.30. Uh, Both those two series is um, 
tied at one apiece. The Heat are leading the Hawks two games to none right now. Tomorrow, you've got Celtics-Nets, that in Brooklyn at 7.30. You've got Raptors-Sixers, that series is pretty much over. You've got the Mavs and the Jazz, and I think earlier before I said the Mavs won game one on the road. That's not true. I forgot that the Mavs are the four seed and the Jazz are the five seed, so that was my mistake. And then that's at 4.30. 4.30. Okay, yeah. So you got the Sixers Raptors at 2, the Mavs Jazz at 4.30, Nets Celtics at 7.30, and Timberwolves Grizzlies at 10. That's perfect because we have two softball games down the shore tomorrow, and those games start at 12, so I should be home plenty of time to to catch uh, the Nets game at 7.30. So that's awesome. And then, of course, more games on Sunday. Um, As for television, you've got a uh, brand new just dropped today You've got this new Magic Johnson um, documentary series. So obviously, there's Winning Time on HBO Max, which is recanting the uh, the Lakers the Lakers years, you know. Um, and I have yet to watch that series. Obviously, I'm going to, but I'm waiting for all the episodes to drop. My brother, my dad, everybody's been into it, so it's been really good. Um, but this documentary is, I don't know how many episodes it's going to be. They've released four episodes right now, so I don't know if there's going to be more or if that's it, because usually they'll release three at the first shot and then one every week. So the fact that they released four has me believing that it is a four-part documentary series, but it is it. They are calling it, they call me magic. So um, here is the trailer. It will feature full interviews with President Obama, Larry Bird, Pat Riley, and more. And it will chart the life and career of Magic Johnson. Here's the trailer. Introducing the towering point guard from the Midwest, number 32, Urban Magic Johnson. It's your time. I was assigned to cover Urban's first game. He did stuff I'd never seen in a basketball floor before. So the sports writer came in and he said, I want to give you a nickname. About magic. He's like, yeah, right. (laughs) My boy's not going to call me magic. 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 I learned how to smile because of Magic Johnson. At Michigan State, it was all about magic this, magic that. Just behind his back, no look passes. That's magic. I guess that's what I am. The Los Angeles Lakers select Urban Magic Johnson. All of a sudden, we started to win. He's going to be the greatest player of all time. And in walks Magic Johnson approaching the podium. Let's go to Magic. First of all, let me say good good after late afternoon. Um, Because of uh, the HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers. Magic becomes a role model for those who are also afflicted with the disease. To see somebody who has HIV on the dream team? He drove me to be a better basketball player. He's always thinking about the next move. This is a movie complex built by Magic Johnson in the Crenshaw District of LA. It's in the middle of the Bloods and the Crips. We can't have violence. I say, call the heads. I want to have breakfast. Okay, you sure now? I said, yeah. Now he's doing no-look passes with real estate funds and franchises. If you don't make a difference in the black community, that doesn't matter that you win championships. It's showing people how to live a different way. 
We always said we wanted to have a big family. In the beginning, he was figuring himself out. I was figuring myself out. With EJ, I had to check myself. You got to change, not him, you. Now I'm in my element. I'm going to do me and do my thing. I'm just going to be Irvin Johnson. Yes, yeah, so there you have it. They call me Magic. It is a four-part documentary series, so you can watch all four parts right now. I might actually, as soon as I'm done uploading this podcast, I might actually start to watch that alongside some NBA basketball, uh, playoff basketball. Um, what else did I want to say? Around the league, let's go real quick. Just get the latest stuff, anything I might have missed. Obviously, ba- uh, baseball's on right now. Um, oh, Joel Embiid. He has a probable uh, or a possible um, torn ligament in his thumb. He has pain, but something to keep an eye out. He does expect to play, so very interesting there. Oh, Miguel Cabrera's uh, run at 3,000 hits is on hold after a rainout. Tonight's game has been rained out. Uh, Luka Doncic is feeling no pain. He's questionable for game four. Uh, the Bucks and Tom Brady have restructured his deal, freeing up about $9 million. Dwayne Haskins' funeral uh, took place today. Uh, I, I heard he was having two funerals, one in New Jersey where he grew up and another um, where, you know, he, he moved uh, the uh, Maryland area. Uh, let's see. That's about it. Um, I know. Let's see. Uh, Patty Mills won the NBA Sportsmanship Award, so that's cool. And I also know that in a bit of a surprising move, the Charlotte Hornets fired head coach James Borrego. Um, I read that he increased the team's wins by 10 in each of the last three seasons, and they made the play-in in each of the last two seasons. Uh, reports are Mitch Kupchak may also be fired as Hornets GM. So something to keep an eye on. I don't know who they're going to hire there, but they have a, a nice young nucleus. LaMelo Ball is an absolute stud. Um, so they've got some good pieces in place there. So let's see what they do with that. Uh, with that being said, guys, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're just about an hour here, just a little over an hour or so. I think that's a good time to to stop this thing. I've got a couple hours where I got to get some shut eye and then head to uh, the college to get on a bus and go play some softball games tomorrow or coach some softball games, I should say. Uh, here we go. Final, final spot segment here on this date in sports. And I forgot to mention, it is Earth Day. Excuse me. It is Earth Day. Well, guess what? We'll take it all the way back to the very first Earth Day. Um, shoot, what year was this? This was, give me a second here while I pull this up. Um, well, anyway, Tom Seaver of the New York Mets delivers an out-of-the-world performance, striking out 19 batters in a 2-1 to win over the San Diego Padres with 14,197 fans on hand at Shea Stadium. That is 12, almost 12,000 more fans than were at the 
Oakland A's game on Wednesday. Unbelievable. At the time, the 19 strikeouts equaled a single game record. Tom Terrific finished the game with a flourish as the last 10 Padres went down on strikeouts. Just unbelievable. In an era where you didn't strike out like that, um, he did. So just incredible, incredible, incredible. What year was this? It just says on the first Earth Day. Uh, April 22nd, 1970. I bet my dad is probably going to be listening to this saying, 1970, 1970. So yeah, April 22nd, 1970. Tom Seaver strikes out 19, and that's probably where he got the nickname Tom Terrific. So uh, that's going to wrap this thing up, guys. Have a nice weekend. Enjoy the weather. Hopefully it it it, it uh, peaks with, with that nice summery type 60 70 degree weather it was beautiful today the wind's been a little nasty and we've had rain we're supposed to get some rain a little bit next week i'm over it um can't wait for the summer to just get here already but uh yeah that's gonna wrap this thing up i'm the pody you're listening to episode 168 of this week in sports so long sayonara see everybody hopefully next week take care